Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 101. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going Warp Factor 8, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics, and everything in between. So please, spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash. <laughs> Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. 
And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> get Headquartered, a timeline of the Monkey Solo Years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. Welcome to 2021. My Warren Kramer book is finally being laid out, and it is looking really good. I'm still working on my Madden Disney books and my Popeye article. We'll discuss other new projects throughout the year. Today's guest is a comedian, comedy writer, and musician. Here he is, Tommy Bell. Artwork of the $6 million man. And his foot is where his hand should be. His hand is where his foot should be. And I saw this magazine, and, and I, I was a total $6 million man nut. And I, I said to my mom, I, got, I have to have this magazine. <laughs> and she said, we're not here for that. We're here for other things. You're not getting the magazine. A week later, I was in the hospital, get a, a minor surgery on a, a thing in my, my chin, my tooth. And uh, I'm in the hospital bed. And my mom says, can I do anything for you? And I'm milking it now. This is the Academy Award. <laughs> I'm on my deathbed. I'm like, I need that magazine with the six million, with his hand on his foot and his foot on his hand. And, and she went back to that drugstore, found that magazine. This was 1974. I was eight. And I read that magazine in that hospital bed three times through the fine print, everything. And it was, of course, cracked magazine. And then the next issue was the uh, Three Musketeers which had on the cover $6 million man getting stabbed with sparks coming out of his chest. So I, I had to have that one. Yeah. <laughs> and then the very next uh, issue was Planet of the Apes. And if there was anything I liked more than $6 million man, it was Planet of the Apes. And so that's how it all started. And the next thing you know, I'm 54 years old and I'm talking to you. <laughs> so the pinnacle of your career. I hate to say, absolutely. I, absolutely. I hate to say, the very first beginning of the thing, I didn't have the thing recording correctly. At least I figured it out two minutes into it. So let me introduce you again, okay. <laughs> and I'll leave that opening bit anyway. So we're going to All do right. this kind of ass backwards today. Uh, yes, this is Mark Arnold speaking with Tommy Bell on Fun Ideas Podcast. Hey, how are you today? This is exciting. It's great to be with you again. Hey, and I'll pass you some green beans again if I can figure out how to do it. There we go. All right. As I said uh, before we were recording, you know, yes, this is the layout I had when I was uh, ha uh, having Thanksgiving Zoom meeting with my family. So, and in lieu of being in person. So there we go. All right. Uh, at least we're recording now. <laughs> I've only done that one other time where it's like we just started away and I go, am I really recording? You know, and it's like, ah! It's all right. <laughs> anyway. hmm. Okay. You know, the hazards of doing all this by yourself, you know, I need an end. All right. Anyway, so, um, so how did I get to know you? I mean, it's like, you've been like commenting on my uh, Facebook for a while and it was it through crack magazine or some other I source. Think, I don't I even think, know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure either. I was wondering that myself. It could have been a uh, Alfred E. Newman website or cracked magazine website, mm -hmm. but I think the way the algorithms work, if you like someone's comments, you start to see more of them and, Right. So, yeah, we've been kind of going back and forth on different threads 
So are I uh, because of that early exposure to crack, are you an avid humor magazine collector or oh, you just grew out of that? Yes. Oh god, yes. Yeah, I mean, after those uh, first three issues of Cracked, I mentioned, uh, after that, I discovered Mad Magazine and Sick Magazine and Crazy Magazine and <clears throat> all the other short-lived ones that came and went during that time. And um, I've just I've just gone down the, the rabbit hole full on. I've got humor <laughs> magazines going all the way back to the beginning of Mad and beyond. I've got uh, Cracked Magazine three-ring binders. I'm looking at them right here on the floor. Mm -hmm. So yeah, anything, anything, uh, humor magazine, I'm all in. Cool. Do you have, um, any of those kind of hard to find crack things like the Sylvester Smith plush doll and things like that? I've never seen that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, the, the only thing I have, uh, ultra rare, I have, um, I have a, a, a t-shirt that someone made with one of the old iron-ons that was in the magazine. Mm -hmm. And it's just an old vintage kid's sweatshirt, actually. And I just thought it was cool, so I picked it up. And I've got, um, I know, I, I understand there's a, a cracked Frisbee, very elusive, yep. defined item. I've, I've never had one of those. But. I actually have that. <laughs> wow. I can That's tell you how amazing. I got it, though. It's like, um, it, it's kind of funny. When I started reading, I don't know if you were this way, but I never was very aggressive about send a, sending away for things or filling out. Correct, yeah, I never did that either. Contest things, and I think it's just because of my age, because I'm roughly like a year younger than you or less. And exactly. uh, so, you know, it was, unlike now with email, we could just, blah, 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 you know, and send it out to anybody, you know, it's like it was a big ordeal. Can I have an, an eight cent stamp or a 10 cent stamp to send a letter to Mad Magazine because they're offering this? Right, and then and wait six months. I mean, it was only oh, ten cents, the but, you know, that was considered highway robbery to ask for a ten cent stamp to send some magazine uh, a letter. You right. Know? So, as a consequence, I rarely did, but I mean, I did my share. But I mean, it, looking back on it, it's like, wow, I could have done more. I could have done more. Oh, absolutely. But, so the frisbee story. Um, I think by that time I was in my twenties. This was in the nineties, and I was on my own, so you know, I could plop down what 35 cents or whatever it was for stamp that you know and uh you know uh it was some sort of contest i think if i remember correctly um name so get, tell us what sylvester smith's middle initial p stands for Ooh. and i think the answer was fooey that won i don't remember what i put if i can but I somehow came in second place and got a Frisbee in the mail one day. I was like, well, you know, oh, that's nice. You know, but even then I wasn't really aggressive about getting, that's why I asked about the plush doll because I remember them being advertised and I thought, oh, I should order one of these. And then I What, what years would that have been, the plush doll? Um, late 80s. Okay, I, I think I might have been out by then. Okay. There's, there's a gap in my collecting. Oh, I kind okay. of... I kind of stopped around um, early mid '80s and kind of got back into it later. Okay, so the issues from around 1985 to 1990 were uh, edited by Mort Todd, who I've had on the podcast before. Correct. And he, he together. What, sir? You, did you guys do like the uh, the art of? Uh, Jack Davis and uh, John Severin, did you do those books? Yeah. And then on my two crack books, he 
designed the covers. I, I, I hire him to do different things. He's designed the logo for this show. Um, he nice. revamped my website. So, you know, and I pay him a couple bucks and a pat on the back. And, you know, <laughs> then we carry on. I need to get him to do something else, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But more, if you're watching, well, you, I'll, you, I'll talk to you soon. Anyway. <laughs> you, need, you need to get him to uh, clear that dinner table after this podcast. I know. Oh, he probably will. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, let me let me clear it right now. Watch this. Uh, I better not do this. Uh, let's see if I do this. See, this is more appropriate for today. Oh, wow. Look at that. There we go. That's amazing. That's, that's what I usually have in the background, and I just switched to the other. So you're actually talking about cracked, and I have the cracked background. So there we go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, th actually, this is a good uh, thing to show. Yeah, this is what uh, Mort Todd did. I just told him, I said, Design me a cover. I, I got this uh, Sylvester artwork um, from a friend of mine. I can say his name now. His name's Jerry Boyd. And he got this commission. It turned out it was like the last commission for Sylvester. I think he might have drawn Sylvester one more time. Um, That's not a Severn piece? It is a Severn piece. But what I'm oh, saying okay. is it's a commission that was from Severn, but it was done post the magazine. So oh, oh, I believe oh, okay. it's, the very, it's certainly the very last real commission because I there's one other Sylvester picture that uh Severn hastily did and I don't know if he did it before or after this but I still mm. consider this the final one because most right. people when they wanted commissions from John they got Incredible Hulk or they got some you know right. two-fisted tails or something that was not right. this anyway so but yeah Mort Todd took that he colorized it, it was it's a black and white drawing and okay. then he put all the covers back here. So that's how that goes. Nice. Out, so. Well done. Good job, Moore. <laughs> um, but he was also instrumental during the late 80s to start putting in, like, uh, T-shirts and stuff that hadn't been in the magazine for quite some time. Yeah, there's a few yeah. earlier on. Right. And uh, I, I did get one of those T-shirts. But, yeah, it's like. The, for some reason, Sylvester plush doll didn't sell very well, and it's like I never see one for sale. Oh, that's a shock. Well, uh, I'm wondering. It was now was at this uh, mid to late '80s phase. Was cracked in Madeira Beach, Florida. Where was yeah. their offices at that time? Uh, it was in New York at that time. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, um, because yeah, it's it's had this history of going. New York, Florida, New York, Florida. So right. it was uh, New York from the beginnings. And then Bob Sproul, the original publisher, said, I don't have to live in New York and do this. And I think there might have been a medical reason. I've talked to his son before. Uh, mm -hmm. And so he just decided, I'll just move to Florida. And so he edited the magazine from down there. And then everybody submitted everything to like a P.O. box type deal. Okay, right. The actual address printed was really the loading dock. <laughs> of where the magazines were dropped off. So right, right. I think the address back then was like on Park Avenue. If you went there, there was nothing. Of course, right. as kids, we didn't know that. We were like, ooh, I wonder if there's cracked offices and everybody's in there, you know. It's like... Right. <laughs> Playing ping pong and laughing and having a good time. Right. right. And then when um, uh, uh, Sproul decided to retire and sold off the magazine and uh, the next company bought, which eventually became Globe and everything, they right. moved it all back to New York, and uh, they shared office space with a porn magazine for a while, and then a bridal magazine, and then eventually, like, the, the Globe itself and the National Enquirer and those type of things. And then flash forward to about 2000, then 
and the company that owned it, I think it's American Media or Globe Media, I don't know, is they took it lock, stock, and barrel back to Florida again. And uh, uh, that's when all the people like Blue Silverstone and Andy Sims, they all bailed out because they didn't want to move to Florida. Right. So, and right. And so Dick Culp had it for a few years. And then, you know, there's a story after that, but that's essentially. Well, I, I have a, a kind of interesting story about that. Uh, I, I play music among many things, like you said, and I was playing a gig down here in Treasure Island. This buddy of mine walks up and he says, hey, Tommy, I want to introduce you to my friend. This guy is, is Billy. Billy, this is Tommy. And we said, hello. And, and then uh, my friend says, hey, Billy, tell Tommy who your dad is. And Billy is like, oh, he's not going to know. And I, I said, what? Who is he? And uh, he, Billy wouldn't say a word. And, and my, so my friend said, this guy's dad invented Cracked Magazine. And I said, what? And Billy said, see, I told you he wouldn't know. And I said, wait a minute. Hold on. Cracked Magazine. Great <laughs> moments in history. Danny Dickering. Sagebrush. Come on. John Severin. Vic Martin. <laughs> Orac. Rodriguez. See, I told uh, you I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and his, uh, Billy's eyes just lit up. And I said, your dad is Robert C. Spruill, and, and Billy just flipped his lid. And, of course, we've been fast friends ever since. Okay. And then, actually, before I knew, before you were on my radar, he mm -hmm. mentioned to me a while back that um, yeah, this guy's doing a history book about Cracked. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. And so anytime anything ever comes up about, you know, like well, when crack.com or crack website came up, he was always talking about that. And, but, and Billy of course is just a wonderful guy. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get him on the show, give him a little nudge, but you know, he said he'd do it. He was, he was always kind of hesitant for the book. He did give me some information, but he kind of regretted not doing a bigger interview for the book at the time, you know? Right. Well, he's a very hesitant person. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's been promising me a Frisbee for like 10 <laughs> years now. So it's very, it's kind of hard to get through to him, but. Well, that's interesting. You, you should get that Frisbee. I mean, he did send me, uh, thank you, Billy. Uh, he did send me a binder. He sent me one of the cracked binders. That, uh, oh, nice. Uh, the movie uh, that cover, I forgot, it's like number 89 or what, I don't know the number, but it's like where all the old time movie stars are filing out of the movie theater. Right. Yeah, right. So that was the binder on both sides. And I, and I go, you want anything for this? And I, no, no, no. He just sent it to me. And I go, okay. You know, so. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. He gave me a, a, a few file copy paperbacks that were in the cracked office. So, and I mean, I've got all the cracked paperback books in perfect condition, but it was neat to have the file copies just to know they were handled by those guys. <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Do you have any other things in your collection? I mean, we were, do you like? Do you have the binders or even the notepads or anything? Yeah, like I've got I've got three of the binders right over here. I could even grab them. Up. Yeah, what sure, is... grab them. All right, <laughs> I'll entertain yeah. the people. All right, we got to see if we can get we can get more Todd to make a background of these for me. Uh, here we go. Is um, ooh that one I don't have. Yeah, I have some of the binders. I don't have that cover for the binders, you know. Yeah, that's. Uh, I only have like four different binders, I think. You know, he's so. watering the sidewalk, and this one's actually in pretty decent shape. Um, 
this one is a little drawn on ballpoint pen. Kids did that back then. But yeah, I do have that real. one, yeah. <laughs> and and it's full of the cards. Ooh, cool. <laughs> I do have the cards. But ironically, yeah, I, I bought the cards when I was doing the book. I didn't have them way back when. I never saw them. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then the... Um, I have that one, one too. Yeah. Yeah. So... Okay. Yeah, the one I the the one of the binders besides the one with the movie theater is the other movie theater one. Um, it's issue one hundred five. I know the number on that one, where it's a monster movie and all the monsters are fall flowing right. out of the theater. And yeah, has, you can see the marquee on it and everything. Yeah. yeah, and that one's like a trifold one, which is really kind of a weird binder. You know, it's not. Yeah, just those a, those are the hardest to find. The yeah, trifold. So. Yeah, and crack was, I, just, uh, I just found them randomly over the years. I don't really try to find them because when you search for them on eBay, I don't know if you do, but yeah, I rarely see them. You know, it's like oh nobody's... yeah, I search for them constantly, and they're they're almost <laughs> never there. Yeah, so, so I did I did track down a collector that had a a, a bunch of them, and he had the trifold, mm-hmm. and he he just didn't want to part with them, and he wanted crazy money for them, so. <laughs> He should, well, cracked money, not crazy money. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, now, I, do, I, do uh, have a, I do have another neat little collector's item. I was uh, recording music in this studio down here. And uh, this guy, he owned the studio, and he was using me for his album. I, I was playing the drums on, on these songs. And he, he didn't really have much money. He didn't want to pay me. But he wanted to do something. He said, we'll make it right. I'll give you free studio time or something. We'll do a trade. And uh, one day, I'm recording in the studio. I walk out, and there's all these wonderful sculptures in the studio. Just fantastic, crazy good sculptures. And uh, I'm like, who, who, is, who is all these sculptures? And he says, oh, it's this artist, David O'Keefe. And, uh, and he's, he's storing his stuff here in my recording studio. So uh, I'm looking at him because I also sculpt and do artwork. And one day I walked out of the studio, and this was lying on a table. Wow. Nice. <laughs> this. Was that an authorized thing or some personally made thing? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Oh. <laughs> I knew. I mean, I would actually, have picked it up at two, you know, if I saw that. <laughs> well, I, I I, instantly realized it was. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> and so I, I looked about at that, this. Yeah. yeah, I looked at this thing and, and I said, hey, I'll tell you what. Um, you want to throw me that little Alfred e. Newman sculpture? We're even on the studio time. You know, you don't, you don't owe me a dime. All mm-hmm. I want is that thing. And so he kind of, he said, oh, yeah, sure. He didn't care. He's like, yeah, go ahead and take it. <laughs> so I grabbed it up. And um, that to me is one of my, because, you know, as, uh, I'm not a rich guy that can afford cover, original cover art and have right. it framed on my walls. This is as close as I'll ever get to that. But, it, you know, it's a, the genuine sculpture from mm-hmm. the cover of that mad issue. Interesting side note, uh, David O'Keefe, he sold, Alex Trebek contacted him and bought the Alex. Ah, 
I was just going to ask you what happened to Alex, and now oh, and now he's passed away. What's going to happen, to Alex? Is exactly. But I <laughs> own. What I was thought that was kind of neat that I owned the Alfred, and Alex Trebek owned his the yeah. Alex Trebek from that cover. You yeah. know. See if you can get the Alex Trebek, man. <laughs> no, someone, someone told me I should have tried to sell the Alfred to Alex, yeah. so he could have the whole cover. But well, it's, you know, it's too yeah. late now. But yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten about that cover. Does it say who did that cover without looking it up? I mean, it does. I think it does on the inside if you can take it's it off. It's David O'Keefe. Oh, that is that artist. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. and um, the funny, funny thing, I, and I got to meet David, and, and we actually worked on an art project together. And I said, hey, what was it like working for Mad Magazine? He said, well, I, I sent him some stuff, and they called me in for a, a in-person, face-to-face meet. And I, he said, I came in, I brought my portfolio, and it's all photographs of sculptures and um, like caricature sculptures, right? And the mad guys, they looked at him and go, why would we want you in the, mag- in the magazine? We do drawings and paintings. We don't do sculptures. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and the guy said, well, you asked me to come in. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, 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 we don't need this. You know, take your stuff and go. Hmm. And he left. He left feeling really hurt and rejected. Hmm. And then like um, four weeks later, they called him up and said, we love your stuff. We want you to do the next issue. <laughs> and he, he said, that's just kind of how they were. He goes, I realized later they were kind of jerking my chain and, and playing with me. So he not only had to do that cover, but he had to do like maybe 20 or 30 frames for the full. It was, the, it was the, uh, like what would normally be the movie story in the front of the magazine mm-hmm. is a Jeopardy episode. And he had to do sculptures for each, you know, frame of that. Wow. And so he ended up doing a ton of work for <laughs> mad. Yeah. And then that was it. Hmm. Interesting. I'll have to look at that again. Uh, what yeah. issue number, what issue number is that one? I mean, I have it. I just don't remember. It's like three something, four something. Three eighty. What? Three eighty. Three eighty. Okay. I'll have to remember that. Okay. <laughs> Cause, um, when you let me ask you this: When you started buying them, did you just keep? Buying, well, you said you stopped on crack. Did you stop on the other magazines too? I kind of did. Okay. I kind of did. Yeah, when I got in high school and I started discovering other things like girls and stuff, <laughs> I kind of just stopped. And then I picked it back up. And then just recently, uh, my comic collection just exploded. I've got way too many of, for a person like me should have. So I have been thinning out and thinning out and getting rid of, and it breaks my heart because I love these things. But I decided a while back that I didn't really want to have anything from 1980 on. I I had to put some sort of parameter (laughs) on my collection. It was, it was engulfing my house. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm pretty much a, um, a 1980 and under for comics and magazines with a few exceptions yeah so that's a pretty good cutoff date i was saying this if, you know i assume you're a superhero guy like everybody else in comics too a bit a bit but i'm more humor okay so you're more like me which is fine but i was saying i don't know if you had any sort of epiphany but i had one like maybe like in the last year or so just because of all the different Marvel superhero movies and da 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 and everybody talks mm-hmm. about oh DC's doing this and Marvel's doing this mm-hmm. and I'm just like uh, and I go why don't I and I tried to figure it out doing like little self analysis why don't I like superheroes as much as everybody else and so I tried right. to look at 
And then, like, I bought some old Marvels and DCs just because they're cheap at, at the thrift shop. You know, they're like a buck a piece, and they're just random stuff from the 70s. And I'm looking at them, and I'm like, this is great. I love this. I should get more of these, blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, that's odd, too, because – and then I figured it out. It's like – it's something to do with when they decided to have the Crisis for DC and the Secret Wars for Marvel. It just – after it was all over, I just was like, I'm done with this. And then everything kind of continued down that path where it's like – you know, everything had this continuity. You had to read every issue to get everything. And, right. you know, it's like, you know, the drawings didn't stay within the frames. Everything had to bleed out to the edge. And, uh-huh. all. and it's like, yeah. I didn't like all the artists that were coming up. You know, they weren't as good, you know, as I, as the ones from the old days. And, you know, I, I know agree. people have said that about Mad, too. They go, why can't Mad be as good as the old days? Well, because... Jack Davis at Al are all dead, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, but it's like, they can have good artists now. It's just, you know, you know, are they going to pay them and promote them? And, you know, now they're competing with movies and everything. But anyway, so did you, have, is that the reason why you chose 1980 is just kind of an arbitrary cutoff because. It was kind of arbitrary, you know, kind of because of my age. And that's kind of where I, in real life, kind of stopped right okay. around there, probably 83 is when I stopped, yeah. but I just thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a 60s and 70s guy. Yeah. So anything pop culture from those two eras. Yeah. But, um, you know, as far as the superhero thing, I was just never convinced that the artists for Marvel were that good. <laughs> I mean, they, and not compared to Mad. Yeah. You know, those guys are geniuses and cracked. I yeah. mean, John Severin is phenomenal. And when I look at an old Marvel comic that he did the artwork for, mm-hmm. I just I just think to myself, this is like Rembrandt compared to everything else Marvel had. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, John Severin never seemed to really get that at those accolades. Maybe he maybe he did, and I don't know about it. But I never hear I hear collectors talking about Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and all those old guys, and and yeah. I go, yeah, they're great. I understand it. I respect them. But John Severin. Come yeah. on, that guy's the master. Yeah. Well, part of the reason I uh, decided to do the book, even though you may have heard this story before, but I'll say it briefly again, is I didn't want to do the Crack Magazine history book because I didn't think anybody cared. That was really, but then I found uh-huh. out people did care. Uh, so that's a shorthand version of that story. So um, the thing that always frustrated me is somewhere along the line, I don't know if it was in the 80s or the 90s, but an issue of Comics Journal had a lengthy interview with John Severin. And even though they mentioned Cracked in the introduction, he's worked at Cracked for the last 40 years or something like that, it, they didn't ask him any questions about Cracked. And I said, you got the guy there. Right. Ask him. You know, I would have asked him, at the very least, how come you work at Cracked for 40 years instead of, you know, everything else? You know, it's like, sure. what keeps Why'd you there? You mad? Now, I found out when I did the book, but it's like nobody asked him that. And it's like it frustrated me on that interview that even at that point, they weren't going to ask him about Crack Magazine. And Crack Magazine was still being published at the time. So it's like, eh, whatever. (laughs) I don't don't get it. I I always kind of wondered why he left Mad, you know, because he was with Mad first. And that artwork, of course, is great. And um, I guess he did a falling out, but I don't really know the story behind that. Well, um, 
from what I know, piecemeal and stuff, reading interviews and stuff like that, uh, is that he got busy more with Two Fisted Tales because Mad Mad went monthly and uh, Kurtzman couldn't handle doing as many titles. Right. Yeah. And so first went uh, Frontline Combat went, and then uh, Two Fisted Tales. He couldn't handle that too, and you'd think he could do a couple titles. So they basically gave Two Fisted Tales to Severin to edit, you know, uh, just like the last five or six issues or something like that. Right. Um, and then Kurtzman, of course, went on uh, to turn Mad into a magazine, and then left and da 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 da. Um, I do know that Severin and Feldstein never got along, and which is why you never see. Like a Severin horror story or something like that in Tales from the Crypt. Oh, interesting. And interesting. Uh, the reason I know that is because, and I mentioned this in the book, is that in you you've seen those giant uh, Russ Cochran volume reprints oh, sure. of like uh, Madden, uh, Panic, and all the different things. Correct. I think it's the one that has Shock Illustrated, Horror Illustrated, their Terror Illustrated, all the magazines that they tried to do in the late mid to late fifties that all right. flopped. Um, they had an interview with uh, Al Feldstein, and this was a very telling comment. Is uh, they asked him why they didn't get Severin to do any of these, and he basically said no comment. So I don't think Severin and Feldstein got along um, because I always wondered why is Severin, you know, doing this crack stuff when you know Mad's right there and he's as good as the Mad artists. And, yeah, and was there. You know, but then, work. but then I realized, you know, also which I didn't know, and that's what I found out doing the book, is that Severin had a salary, you know. So, uh, but he was a very prolific guy, so it didn't matter. But I mean, he got right. paid whether he did any work or not. So, um, and uh, so, yeah, why why go to Mad when you might be paid for five pages tops when you could do the the whole book, which he did a couple times over at Crack. So, right, yeah. right. Anyway, yeah, I always liked him. I thought always thought maybe he he had maybe he was part of the Harvey Kurtzman leaving because it was kind of a you know little cluster of guys that left. I think Will Elder never came back after that. Yeah, but but uh, Severn left after issue ten, so he man, 10, okay. so, so he left right. quite a bit Before earlier. That. Yeah, hmm. but he is in every issue one through ten. But I, I think after that um pretty much if i don't know how well you know your mad comic books but the fourth story always seemed to be uh like one was by basil wolverton or one would be like sure. photographs or you know there's always some throwaway story for the fourth right. story after that right but anyway um so you say you're a musician and everything else tell us about all your other vocations, since this is really well, I, 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 <laughs> I do uh, I do some stand up comedy. I've been doing that for about five years, okay. and that actually that career is starting to take off. I'm getting more requests for that kind of work than I am playing music. Oh, but wow. uh, I played music my entire life. I mean, since I was born, <laughs> my mom started me on piano lessons, and I read music, I teach music, I play every different kind of instrument, every different kind of music. I work in bands, I do a solo act, and I write songs. So during COVID, I've been concentrating a lot on writing and recording music. So I, I do a lot of that, and I write, and I, I draw. I got my art degree from the Ringling School of Art and Design, mm -hmm. and I do a lot of comic booking. I, and 
I don't know, you might even have seen a few of these pages on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Recently about my job at Amazon, which I have a part-time job there. Okay. <laughs> so I've been comic booking about that job that, you know, mm -hmm. since I started there. So, uh, you know, I, I like to just stay busy and do lots of different things. I should probably put you in touch with my friend Andrew Goldfarb, who now publishes, he's a musician as well, uh, but uh, he uh, now publishes a couple times a year his own magazine called Freaky, which oh, nice. you know, I contribute to now. And he actually does pay. <laughs> so, um, nice. so, I mean, you could probably contribute if you're, you know, he might take some of your artwork as is. I don't know. You know, he's, he, you know, he's, you know pretty flexible and stuff like that, depending on what it is. If it's funny and it's drawn well, yeah, he'll take it. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, I wanted to mention one other thing. Uh, I got to get this in with you. Uh, sure. This is something, another kind of all pass lead to Mark Arnold story in my life. <laughs> this, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this recently. It was the J. Ward Productions Rocking Bowling Goal 60th anniversary. Yeah. Okay, so there was a post on Facebook. Might have been yours. I don't know whose it was. <laughs> but uh, I grabbed it and shared it. I thought, Rocky and Bullwinkle, who doesn't like that? You know, 60 <laughs> years, it's kind of cool. Yeah. So I, I did a share of it. And then, um, of course, everyone, all my friends are commenting on it. Oh, I love this cartoon. Grew up fit as a kid. And this guy on the gets on the thread and says, uh, Mr. Wizard, take me away. Oh, <laughs> wrong and studio. <laughs> exactly and i'm like I, that doesn't feel right you know i got a, like a knot in my stomach when i read it and I, and I, I was like wait a minute so i i i thought i'm pretty sure that's total television so i i yeah. but before i rip this guy a new one on facebook i better check myself make sure i'm right mm -hmm. so i i looked it up and sure enough it's it's a tennessee tuxedo so i i get back on the page and i he's i do know this guy and I said, listen, uh, it's a pretty honest mistake. A lot of us get these two families of cartoons confused. <laughs> the art is similar. The music is similar. The celebrity voices, same era. Mm -hmm. I said, but, you know, you need to get this straight. This is Tennessee Tuxedo. <laughs> this, is, this behavior is no longer acceptable on my thread. And, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he said, oh, my gosh, I always thought it was one. And yeah. so I remembered thinking. You know, when I, when I went to Wikipedia, Tudor Turtle, yeah. um, you would think that they would just lay it all out. Here's the pyramid of the family. It's underdog, Tennessee, Tuxedo, and this is all the side characters. They don't. Nope. <laughs> and I thought to myself, if only there was a source material for total television, why doesn't <laughs> someone make this book? And then uh, yesterday, <laughs> in, pre in preparation for this, I, I got on your site and I went through and I saw your book review of it and I was like, there we go. <laughs> I need that book. Yes. So well, there's going to be two books too, but yeah, uh, the, the story on that one, I mean, um, uh, well, I, I say this part of the story. I don't know if you know this. Are, are you a Harvey comics fan? That's, that's my big. Well, I know, I knew about that book. That, yeah. Is that your main passion? Well, originally. Yeah. And then I said, okay. I can't, I can't just do Harvey my whole life because I have other interests and stuff like that. I want to write about other things. And so when the book, I can, I can, I can do Harvey. I like, I like, yeah. I am Harvey. And I, and I don't mind talking about it now. It's just that, you know, when you're a writer and it's like, I don't want to be pigeonholed 
as the Harvey guy. Like, like there's this other guy. I don't know if you know who Rick Goldschmidt is. He's been on the podcast. He's uh-uh. he loves everything Rankin Bass. You know, the Rudolph and the Frosty and the da da da. And he loves it. He's like totally into that completely. And it's like I wouldn't mind doing that, but I I can't say so narrow focus just one studio's output. So you know, right. So, you know, that, and also, you know, people would write books, like, I don't know if you ever saw the book um, about Rocky and Bullwinkle, uh, The Moose That Roared by Keith Scott. No, no, I haven't. I recommend that. Anyway, he wrote the book, um, and this is what got me started thinking more about Total Television. I knew pretty early on it was a separate uh, studio, but I didn't know much beyond that. Uh, Correct. That's where uh, I am. Yeah. And, uh, but he wrote this fantastic book that's a good companion piece to my book about Rocky and Bullwinkle. And he basically dismissed the total television stuff. It's like, oh, that stuff isn't very good. It's not well-written, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, go, no, 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 no. What? What? No, no, and, no. And I go, you know, and Keith Scott's a friend of mine now, you know, and it's like, you know, uh, I can get it because it's not as subversive maybe it's not as maybe cerebral but you know it, it's 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 a different type of thing it's like apples and oranges i mean they do it is it is share it's the same effort. animation studio they did share the same publicity and the same marketing team and the the serial company general mills is the backer for both series and stuff like that but uh total television was in new york jay ward was in hollywood you know it's like and they barely crossed paths they had their own separate uh staffs of animators i think one animator might have crossed over at one point okay uh you know they had their own voice talent you know it's like one team had uh june foray and paul freeze and da 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 the other one had Don adams and larry storch and da 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 you know kenny delmar and stuff like that so and and underdog who's that who was that actor uh wally cox yeah wally cox yeah fantastic So, I mean, and these were all originally New York actors. I mean, eventually they made their way to Hollywood and they were doing sitcoms and stuff. But, you know, the original thing is they're all New York actors. Wally Cox uh, did a show called Mr. Peepers in the 50s, and that was live in New York. Um, Oh, wow. Later on, you know, when he's doing like Hollywood Squares, that was in Hollywood. But, you know. Right. (laughs) So. But anyway, so I was saying, whatever happened to these guys? And then the trouble it began because when you watch Rocky and Bullwinkle, it has a whole list of credits and it says who does what and you can look up people on right. Jay Ward other than the voice I mean excuse me on total television other than the voices it doesn't say who animated it it didn't say who produced it or directed or wrote it or about anything that. Yeah. you know I'm like ah <laughs> yeah interesting I never thought about that <laughs> and then fortunately um, somewhere along the line uh there's this old magazine uh, about animation called Animato, and they did a, an issue with Joe Harris, and uh, he said that he used to draw the uh, characters and design them, and I go, ah, at last, a little, like, entry, I can figure out something, and right. I, I knew he wasn't the only guy, but I'm sure he knew the rest of them, and then slowly over time, I, I got to figure out the rest of them, and and eventually talked to all of them and everything. And, and nice. so the book has it all. Unfortunately, at this point, they've all passed because they were all in their 80s when I interviewed them. Uh, but they did, uh, at the time I interviewed them, they were all 
very with it and everything like that. So they had great memories and stuff. So that's all in the book. So nice. Excellent. Well, like I said, definitely need to copy that. And speaking and then, of Rankin Bass, yeah, a little, <laughs> another classic book right there. And oh. you know that has a mad connection besides just the title mad, right? I did not. Okay. What, uh, what? Harvey Kurtzman wrote the script and oh, okay. Jack Davis designed the characters. So, you know. Oh, nice. Excellent. So, <laughs> so I, I you know, so it has connections that way, which is, I don't know if this is the reason why they called it Mad Monster Party. I mean, Rick Goldschmidt would know that for sure, but I'm right. sure there was, it was in their thinking, you know, because I got, hey, it's the Mad Guys, you know. So. I remember when I was a kid recognizing the Paul Coker Jr. had done the artwork in Frosty and then uh, yeah. also one of the Claymation movies, too. Yeah, Coker, Coker did a lot of the designs. Jack Davis did designs for a few things. Like, do you remember the Jackson 5 cartoon show? Oh, Jack, sure. Yeah, Jack Davis did the designs for them. So, oh, okay. If you ever watch that again, it is on DVD. It's, it has a kind of Jack Davis look because, it, I mean, Jack Davis has a little more sketchy kind of look. Right. They had to kind of clean it's it up. For yeah. TV, but, you know, it has this kind of style with it. So I, I get it, you know. Yeah. Who's your, who's your favorite artist from all of this era we're talking about? Mad, cracked, golden age to modern. Who do you really, who's your number mm. one? Well, I mean, I <laughs> I guess I should say for Harvey, it's probably Warren Kramer because I'm doing a book about him. Okay. Uh, and these books are, uh, my Warren Kramer book, and I have another TTV book coming out called TV Scrapbook. They are done, but they're not published yet because uh, I had to switch publishers a long drawn out story. But uh, now they're going to come out and they're going to be giant picture books in color and everything. Oh, nice. uh, Kramer was the main artist behind Casper and Richie Rich, and that's why I love okay. him. But I can't say he's my favorite artist of all time, although I usually try to fit it in into the panel just because most people go, who? You know, <laughs> yeah, because it's easy to say, oh, I love Don Martin because everybody loves Don Martin if they know Mad and everything like that. Sure. And he's probably one of my favorites. Uh, Elder's stuff is really good. Davis's stuff is really good. Um, yeah. Sergio's stuff's really good. Jaffe's stuff's really good. It's really hard, but those are probably the top ones for me and Mad. So, yeah, I like all of those too. I think Will Elder is my all time favorite. Yeah. Uh, and... Really humongous fan of his. And the way he could go from really nice paintings to super cartoony and everything in between, in between, and all the chicken fat he put into the frames and stuff. But um, now after that, I would have to say, like I think uh, Mort Drucker and John Severn are kind of tied in my mind for both being just masters of caricature, mm -hmm. and also those were guys that could go from pretty realistic to goofy, silly, loose. Yeah, you know. Yeah. If you look at the background characters, a lot of Mort Drucker's panels, they're quite silly and goofy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and um, same thing with John Severin. I mean, I, I love the way he could be so um, simple and silly with something like Sagebrush, mm -hmm. but then bang out a cover that looked with just a gorgeous painting on it. You know, it was just amazing how diverse those guys were. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he could do really straight things. Uh, uh, it, it it is kind of funny, you know. I mentioned it earlier why Severn didn't do horror, and then uh, Mort Todd did do a brief horror magazine in the Cracker called Monsters Attack, which 
He's reprinted yeah. recently himself, so you can probably get that through him. Uh, but if you're interested, but uh, you know, it's like Mort asked him, "Why don't you do the horror thing?" And besides the disconnect between him and Se and uh, um, Feldstein, uh, Severin can draw ultra realistic. <laughs> Whereas if you're reading like one of the tales from the crypt, I mean, you might kind of like get grossed out just because it's a little bit graphic or gory you're not going to get actually sick you know because right. it's drawn so <laughs> realistically with all the veins and everything like that in yeah. such three-dimensional detail but you know, that's severed for you so you know yeah. he was just a master artist and yeah, he sure was. He, he's he's definitely my favorite at cracked um he was you know the reason why i kept buying it even when i you know there are years i hated cracked i said Star Wars again, you know, it's like Mark and Mindy again, you know, you know, different strokes again, you know, and it's like, I didn't like the constant repetition, but I kept buying it because I go, well, I like constant and, and they'd lure me back. If I stopped for a few months, cracked, I did stop every so often. And then they'd put something like free postcards or something and lure me back with their little <laughs> promos and stuff like that. And it's like, well, to me, the, the repetition worked for, um, for two, two things, you know, the $6 million man, he made it on a lot of covers yeah. and uh, so did planet of the apes. Yeah. And those were my two favorite franchises as a kid. Yeah. So that cemented me being a cracked guy. <laughs> but you know, um, and, and what we didn't know at that time was there was a storm brewing on the horizon that was Star Wars, yeah. and by the time that hit, every humor magazine is Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, which was fine with me as you know as a kid. Yeah, and that really just cemented me in. But I could have done without quite so much Mork and Mindy on the cover yeah. of Craft, you know, <laughs> and, and different strokes. I mean, I, mean I will I will say he did do an excellent Robin Williams caricature and an excellent Gary Coleman caricature. Oh, so yeah. I mean, at least he could yeah, draw absolutely. them. I mean, occasional it, it was kind of weird on severin um like i don't know i don't know the actress's name but there used to be like this old lady on mork and mindy and for some reason severin never figured out how to draw her well and, you know <laughs> it's a funny thing both him both severin and drucker when they nailed the character no one did it better right but they both have misses yeah you know, they both had now and then there was like oh, they can't they can't get that face but i think part of that is just due to deadlines yeah, yeah they, and then they there's, get that like, story Davis, done. Davis was even worse on that score. Sometimes oh, he'd yeah. be spot on, and then, like, there's this one uh, issue of Sick Magazine for the 60s, has the Beatles on it, and we've all kind of chalked it up that he may not have had a good photo reference to work with, <laughs> <laughs> just to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, I mean, if you look at, like, one of the Beatles looks like one of the BGs, you know, back in the city, right. like Robin Gibb, and one of them looks like yeah. Herman Sermits, and it might be he just had some random pop <laughs> music artist photos and just drew them in and just got it done, you know. Well, I think part of Jack Davis's magic was that it wasn't that controlled. Yeah. So I don't think he could always rein it in when he needed to. Yeah. But that was also part of his magic. You know, it's a little loose, a little sloppy, a little zany. But that was what was great. It had energy to it. Yeah. Whereas Severin looked like the kind of guy that he probably took three or four different cracks at getting, you know, Ringo drawn right before yeah. he was going to put it on a cover. Yeah. In fact, they did a good um, Beatles story. Um, it's like the... What was it? The, the, 
I forgot what it was. It's like the Beatles in the 90s or something. It was some article like that that George Clatter okay. wrote it, and it was supposed to be predicting the future. Unfortunately, it was a little bit too close about Lenin, you know, that, you know, he was attacked by rabid fans, and uh, his whereabouts are now unknown. That was what wow. they actually said, you know. So, and I talked to Gladder about the time, and he goes, yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed that I actually was kind of close to what actually happened, you know, that right. by a fan, you know, you know, but, you know, uh, going, but, you know, what was I going to say about it is that Severin, yeah, his, his caricatures were spot on, you know, they looked like Lennon and McCartney and yeah, he, he got likenesses. Like, uh, you ever notice so many artists have trouble with Star Trek? Yeah. yeah no one no one can draw Captain Kirk, really. But <laughs> but Severin got him. Yeah. You know, and there are certain characters. You know, Mark Hamill is a tough one to draw. Yeah. Because when you're doing a Star Wars, you know, there's Harrison Ford. He's got these dark eyebrows. He's got mm -hmm. this protruding lip and a scar. And he's got yeah. a nose on him. And, uh, you know, Princess Leia has the hair, and everyone's got some sort of characteristic. And there, there's Luke, yeah. which is basically a, a Ken doll in a bathrobe. and try, <laughs> trying to, Especially trying in to the first that. movie, yeah, because yeah, by the second yeah. movie, his face got a little bit beat up. So. <laughs> right, right. But getting that likeness is hard. I, I liked, um, you wouldn't have to remember off the top of your head who the artist was that did the Star Wars and Mad. I almost want to say Oh, I know. Movie. Yeah. It was Harry North. Yeah. Harry North. That's what I was going to say. He's he a did a fantastic, artist, yeah. fantastic Mark Hamill. Yeah. He really <laughs> got that likeness good. I remember opening that up and being impressed. And that might have been the reason they gave him that assignment, you know, instead of Drucker. You'd think Drucker would have done the original Star Wars parody, but uh, maybe Drucker was having a little bit of a time with it, and they said, "Can you get somebody else to do this one, like Torres or something?" And maybe they yeah, maybe. All, they all passed, and <laughs> they got Harry North. Harry North was doing other stuff occasionally for the magazine, and he did work regularly on the British Mad at the time. And then he worked at Cracked under a pseudonym later on. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of people uh, moonlighted over at Cracked, and vice versa. You know, it wasn't. Sure. You know, and I always tell people this, it's like, you know, the uh, Mad's longest running editor, which was John Ficarra, he worked for Cracked. He was a writer there for just like a handful of issues, but still, he worked for Cracked uh, at one point. Now, who was the guy, maybe you can help me out, I want to say it was Alan Kurzrock. Is that a name that's familiar with you? Mm, not sure. He was a teacher yeah. at, at college that I went to, and he his big claim to fame that he was an editor at Cracked magazine. And um, so when I met Billy Spruill, who we were talking about earlier, I said, oh, yeah, one of, one of the guys at Cracky was a teacher at uh, Ringling School of Art and Design where I went. Mm -hmm. I thought it was Kurzrock, but I, I can't remember. Well, I and, have all uh, the, yeah, they had quite a few editors over the years. I mean, it wasn't like Mad where you basically had Kurtzman, Feldstein, Meglin and Ficara, Ficara, right. Morrison, nobody. You know, <laughs> it's like... Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah they, they a lot I mean, of like temporary part-time people yeah. bouncing in and out of that chair, and yeah, and Sproul himself even edited for a while, and then you that's know, right, Billy did for a while, and um, yeah, you know, some people like Paul Lakin was editor twice. He was a writer too, and things like that. So, and Billy um, was uh, Billy was in one of the photo uh, pages. Uh, it was on the back cover or inside back cover. Become a cracked reporter. Yeah. 
Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. And that was and, a picture of Billy. And they, and ran, I found they ran that ad for a number of years, you know, and it's like. Okay, right. You know. So I found an issue that had that picture, and I brought it into the, into the club I was playing music at one night. Yeah. And he came walking in, and I held the magazine <laughs> up over the drum set. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you go on T-Rific, I mean, this is kind of, it's not an authentic one, but I mean, if you want the T-shirt, somebody did a mock-up. Uh, replication of that Cracked Reporter t-shirt so you could actually oh, okay. get one. I actually got one that uh, has the real if you're cracked you're happy logo rather than right. making the iron on that's in the issue where you have to fiddle right. with that. So I mean I do have that now. I didn't at the time I was doing the book but I mean so if you look around on T-Rific uh, or on uh, Redbubble is the other one. You know, okay. they, they can kind of get away with this stuff. So uh, are these authorized? Probably not, but I mean, it's like, yeah, uh, it's all you, right. know, you know, but uh, it's the way to get crack merchandise relatively inexpensively instead of trying to hunt down an original shirt from 50 years my ago. My mom, so. yeah, <laughs> my my mom did the iron on for me from the yeah. inside cover. And uh, I wore that shirt to death and it yeah. faded after about four washes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I still wore it. This know? one doesn't fade, so... And actually, right. so, uh, did, did you read Crazy regularly, too? Yeah, I've okay. got them all. Um, did you read it during the Obnoxio the Clown era? No, I, I couldn't okay. go there. Okay, okay. I couldn't go there. There's a <laughs> well, few things I can't do. I can't do Crazy with Obnoxio. Um, I, I can't do Lee Majors with a mustache. <laughs> and, and just a few other areas i can't go to but you didn't like the bionic mustache okay uh, but anyway um the reason why i asked is because in one issue of crazy they had these two at the time pretty cute w girls they're probably late teen early 20s and they're wearing obnoxio the clown t-shirts right now, they never offered these things for sale and they never even acknowledged that they were wearing them they just happened to be wearing them anyway somebody somehow reproduced that drawing that was on those shirts and made them onto shirts. So I actually have nice. the shirts they were wearing. So that, you know, it's just because there's very, very little crazy merchandise made, you know, it's yeah, like, right. know compared to the other magazines. I mean, even sick had more merchandise. I mean, they had a few paperbacks, yeah. they had a button and a record album and a couple singles and things like that. So, you know. right. I, I've got the records from sick. Mm -hmm. All the, the albums and the 45s. You know, the oh. thing with Obnoxio is I, I just, I had a pre-existing relationship with the Nebish. Yeah. You know, I, could, I couldn't make the transition to the cloud. I didn't like Obnoxio either, but, you know, I love Crazy Magazine. I actually like Crazy Magazine more than Cracked, you know, which is part of the reason really? why. It's part of the reason why I stopped reading Cracked from time to time because I was buying, you know, all of them. And it's like, it's kind of funny when people bellyache and go, man, it's $6.99 now. It's like, it's only one magazine. When I was a kid, yeah, they're all under a buck. But you had <laughs> Mad, right. you had Mad Special, you had the Crazy, you had the Crazy Annual. I mean, Cracked Annual. Well, Crazy Annuals too. And there was Lampoon if you really wanted to go for it, and Sick if you could find it, you know. And so you'd end up a monthly tab much more than six ninety nine. Absolutely, so. <laughs> yeah. You could go <laughs> broke just trying to collect Cracked Super Specials. There you know, yeah. Super Cracked, Extra Special Cracked, yeah. Biggest Greatest Cracked. I mean. So I never, bought, I never bought those specials unless on the rare occasion if they had like 
uh, Star Wars game or something like that that I go, ooh, that's kind of neat. But, I mean, if it was just, like, you know, Millionaire Game or something, eh, that's kind of boring. Or, right. you know, put your name in the headline. I did that one last year. I don't need to do that one again. Because, yeah, it's yep. like they're like a buck and a quarter a piece, and it's like, well, I could buy two two more issues of regular crack for that money. It's like, I'm not going to wait, you know? So, but, um, yeah, uh, it's just kind of funny on all that, but, uh, you said something Mark, and, about... Mark and Mindy, uh, different strokes, face flip book in the back of the specials, you yeah. know, cracked it a lot of those. Yeah. Flip, now the funny thing is, you know, when eBay came along, I went back and bought all the things I missed and it's like, and that's how I kind of got on to doing the crack book in the first place is, the guy said, you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I happened to just mention to my publisher at Bear Manor, I said, I got every issue of Cracked. And I also mentioned I had every issue of Sick and Crazy and Mad and Lampoon and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, for some reason, Cracked struck a nerve, probably the same for you. They, it sounds like you like Cracked more than Mad. I mean, a lot of people do, which is not a problem. No, no, I, I, it's not a more than, but um, <laughs> I, I feel... You know, Similar, they're apples and oranges. I, I believe Cracked has its own identity, and people that just call it a mad copy, yeah. they don't know what they're talking about. They, I mean, uh, Cracked had its own vibe, yeah. and it had great art, and it had funny stories, and they were first on the story way before Mad. Oh, yeah. You know, like when, uh, uh, when, a, when a movie came out that week, there was a Cracked magazine yeah. with that movie story. <laughs> Yeah. And the mad the mad parody would come, you know, almost three months later when the movie yeah. was leaving the theater. It, yeah. it felt like, but yeah. no, I I like them all, and I I think they all have their own place, and they all have pluses and minuses about them. I'm a humongous Alfred E. Newman collector. Mm. I've got a lot of pre Mad Alfred E. Newman stuff. Mm. So there's a big part of my attachment is to Mad. Um, I don't have the full run. I'm only missing about twelve issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably probably about twelve issues away from a full run of cracked. Hmm. Okay. So, so I'm pretty close to having everything. The, yeah. the cracked specials with the bonuses in them are, are a little hard to find. Yeah. I mean I can tell you one that was the early, early ones. Yeah. Uh, I think it was King Size number four. That was really tough. I I found one since. In fact, I found it twice. Uh, I found a really beat up one once. Finally, it's like, oh. And I, I chalk it up that for some reason that particular one didn't have a high print run because they used to advertise back issues in the later issues. And that one said sold out mm-hmm. very early on. So I don't know if there was a, oh, mistake, interesting. a mistake in the print run. What's the, and, what's the cover of? Uh, it's what's a, the cover of King Size 4? It's um, like all, you know, it, the early specials tended to have just celebrity covers by Severin. And so it's like all these different celebrities in oh. the park and they're kind of admiring a Sylvester statue. It's something to that effect. So it's just a bunch oh, of, I'm, I'm not, you know, I think I might, be, I might be missing that one myself. Yeah. Um, it's a hard one to find. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's because I did find one. You know, I think the one that's impossible, right. here's one that I don't even have, is, and I don't care if I don't have it because it's not really cracked. Um, remember in the late 90s? Yes, you do. You've got to have it. I mean, the late the late O's, not the late 90s, late O's, uh, late 2000s, when they tried to bring it back and they had three issues that uh, – 
had like uh Paris Tom Cruise, on the cover, Tom Cruise, yeah. It's like you know. Yeah. They did a dummy sample issue in uh before they did those three that wasn't for sale and uh it wasn't a full issue. Was, I think it was like twelve pages or something like that. It was just a sample, but I don't have it, so if anybody does, it's not worth anything, mm. send it to me. Anyway. <laughs> but that's well, probably you know, the... it's funny. A lot of times these when some of these things get to the end of their run, you know, before they go out of business, sometimes it's those very last issues are worth the most. Yeah. And so the collector part of me kind of wants to have those newer cracks, but there's less and less severin in them. There's less and less yeah. nostalgia. Well, there's no severin in this. Am one. I just pursuing them because they're yeah. valuable, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I know it's tough. Like I have, I have a, a fantastic, beautiful, the final run of six, and mm -hmm. they're in perfect, perfect condition. Mm -hmm. But they are not magazines I bought off the newsstand. Oh, <laughs> so I don't have that nostalgic attach. I was, I was done with sick by that point. Mm -hmm. But I found them somewhere, and I, they were in perfect condition. It was every single issue. Is after they changed the logo on sick. So this is the Charlton ones, and it has the correct. Top. The tongue right. logo, where yeah, <laughs> the, yep. the letter C has a tongue yep. sticking out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, the Rolling Stones kind of thing. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they did they change mascots at the end also? Uh, kind of, sort of. They they basically changed the design. They they somehow still kept him called Huckleberry Fink, but um, but his look changed maybe. His look changed because well, here's what was happening. It's like. And and this is really weird part of the story, and I don't know why Mad would get get away with this, but um, around mid seventies, before they sold it to Charlton or licensed it out, really, because Joe Simon, the Simon family owns Sick to this day and Huckleberry Fink. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Uh, and I've worked with them, and it may happen. I'm not going to promise anything. It may happen that we might get a book out of Best of Sick, but. Uh, right now, it's kind of in limbo because of all this pandemic and everything. Because they don't want to put a book out right now, so that's fine. The so, world, the world needs that book. Yes. The world, the <laughs> so it may happen. It. it may happen, but I can't say more than that right about it now because it's kind of basically on hold. So I mean, that's that's the best I can say. Uh, but anyway, um, around mid seventies, before they uh, licensed it out to Charlton, they started drawing Huckleberry Fink really closely to looking like Alfred E. Newman. I mean, oh, yes. identical, except he didn't have a tooth missing. That, I mean, like, yes. exactly. And, and Joe Simon was doing those covers. And then um, somehow Mad was doing like a cease and desist on it. And it's like, this is not a copyrighted character. I mean, it's like, the reason why Mad got to use it is because the person that was claiming copyright, they found an earlier instance of Alfred E. Newman prior to that. So, I mean, it's like it's a public domain character. So I don't know how MAD can sh show any weight, but, I mean, it is MAD, and it's, you know, now backed I, by Warner Brothers and everything else. So, you know. I, I thought that they did slap a copyright on it when Norman Mingo did the first color interpretation. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, it's like... It's, I get your point, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was more Todd that kind of made me kind of more aware of that. And it's like, yeah, you're right. How, how are they claiming a public domain character is there? But, you know. Well, Mad's anyway. case would be, <laughs> Mad's case in court would be, hey, we stole that character. 
they can't steal it. You know, that would be that would be the argument, basically. Uh, so anyway, when um, it switched over to Charlton, they originally tried using this bald-headed guy as the new mascot. And so it didn't really have a That's name. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And he only lasted like three or four issues. And then they went back and uh, went to Huckleberry Fink, but they uh, drew him as a kid. And then they started drawing him with his back to the, the camera. So you didn't see his face. You just saw the big red hair. Okay. And uh, then the later, later issues, he's like wearing um, a suit of armor. So you never okay. see his face there, too. So well, that I guess sense. that has something to do with it. But they did start calling him Huckleberry Fink still at that point. So okay. it's supposed to be the same character. But and the original that's... mascot was like a doctor? Yeah. Now, I don't know that doctor's name. Yeah, Huckleberry Fink probably came in around issue 20 or something like that. Yeah. But about two I know what you mean, though. There's there's an era there where he looks exactly like Alfred E. Newman. Yeah, it's around 73, 74, and, yeah. and, and I know that was intentional. <laughs> I was, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I was just now digging for it, and I don't have it at my fingertips. Uh, boy, would I love to pull it out and show you right now. I have a Huckleberry Fink cloth patch. Ooh. And I think it was... It had to have been a promotional send-away. Do you remember the, the uh, sew-on patches you got out of the comic book in the early 70s? Yeah. There was an unlicensed Alfred E. Newman yeah. in that batch, and there was a like a peace sign thing, uh, all these cloth patches you could sew on your jean jacket. This looks like it came from that. Hmm. And it's a Huckleberry Fink, and some guy posted it on eBay, and I – glommed onto it no one else put a bid on i think i got it for like two bucks i've oh, never cool. seen one in my life and a cool thing to have though talk about a magazine that didn't much you know right. what it what did sick have records it's kind of, it's kind of funny patch. that you mentioned that patch because like i said earliest in the conversation it's like you know it, my parents didn't want me sending off for things and stuff like that that was one of the few times i sent off money for an alfred e newman patch and I never got it. I still don't have it to this day. I should just, oh. <laughs> you know, and I think it was like a buck. And I was like, you know, because right. I, I just felt like, well, you know, it's not offered by Mad. Because at that point in the 70s, Mad didn't do much merchandising either. So whenever right. they did anything, like I did send off for uh, one of the little pictures of Alfred. I did yep, so did I. And, I only regret I regret that I didn't order more than one. I still have the one. And I said, you know, they used to say, you know, you can get three for 50 cents or seven right. for a dollar or right. 84 for nine dollars or something. And I should have bought a bunch of them, you know, just because now they don't have them at all. You know, and it's like, but I didn't think yeah, about that. There are, the, that poster still exists in the thousands. Yeah. There are yeah. You know, probably someone like Tim Johnson probably has a whole. Storage yeah. unit full of those posters. Right, but I mean, to, to actually get it from Matt. At least I saved the envelope it came in, so it's kind of nice, you know. It says. Yeah, Matt, I did too. It says Madison Avenue, and so. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still have my envelope from mine, and I still have mine in, in my china cabinet with all my other Alfred E. Newman stuff. Right. That was one of the few things I sent away for, also. Yeah. And yeah, I buy merchandise in like the Mad Magazine game when it came out, and the card game and stuff like that. Now that's right. worth a pretty penny. I was like, really? I can't play it anymore. Darn it! Yeah, you because know, I, I used to play it all the time and kept it in nice condition, but now I'm afraid right. to. Is 
people are selling them for like 300 bucks. I'm like, what? You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> I probably got about uh, six or seven of those mad card games sealed. Oh, wow. I, okay. I was okay. In, uh, well, then I'll start playing with mine and then I'll just ask you when. I'll, I'll just send you one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was in a, I was like in a shopping mall and there was like a Spencer Gifts and they were going mm -hmm. out of business. Mm -hmm. And I got the dis display box with all these mad card games, and they were like fifty cents a piece. Oh wow! I would have bought those too. Bought like, bought like twenty of them. Wow! You know, all, everyone they had in the display box, and then uh, I threw them up on eBay, and I was getting about fifty dollars a whack yeah. for each set. I I put a couple up every Christmas time, and I'd sell one or two, and That's I still cool. have some. Yeah. And cool. as far as the the board game goes, I. I think I probably have three or four of those. Wow. Sets and um, they're complete, but they're opened. I don't yeah. have one sealed. Yeah. I haven't seen that thing in years. So it's like, I mean, I have my own that I have. I mean, Same I here. used to kind of occasionally see it, not at thrift stores, but I mean, you know, it's just secondhand stores and, you know, it was like, oh, right. comic stores and stuff. Somebody would have it. And then now I, I never see it. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah they, there's different editions of that board game, too. So you have to be careful which one's the original. And they did little things that changed it over the years. But yeah, I think I might have had the original one as a kid. And I remembered I kept it for about two weeks after Christmas. It was a Christmas gift. And then I broke the cellophane. I couldn't stand it any longer. Oh. You know, I had I had to open it up. No, you know? I opened mine right away. I, uh, I used to even fold the fold-ins. Oh. oh, well, <laughs> we've all we've all made. Actually, you know what I used to do? This is what I used to do on Mad Crack. So I actually had to rebuy the first couple of years of Madden Crack that I did. Is they'd have the little mini posters, and they'd also have Crack would have the posters inside the inside front and back cover. And so I take the covers off, put them on my wall. It says it's a poster. I'll post it. And it's like, right. it was after a year or two of doing this, I said, yeah, now I have a whole bunch of coverless cracks. That sucks. You know? And so for the longest time I had them back on there, but they had like pinholes on it. And I said, I got to rebuy these. And so eventually I rebought all those. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank God that's been taken care of. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I I wouldn't be able to sleep at night with that. I'm the same way. You know, I've yeah, yeah. I've rebought all of, you know, like I was telling you that first crack magazine that had the six million dollar man on the cover. I still have that one, and it is covered in scotch tape. And it's <laughs> got drawings on it. You can see where I pressed down to trace Severin's drawings, you know, into the paper. And but I've I bought probably three more copies that are in perfect condition. Yeah. You know, just in case there's an emergency, you know, <laughs> I got to make sure I've got that one in perfect shape. But I kept the original beat up one just because, like I said, that's the book that started it all for mm -hmm. me. You know, I, yeah. I could never part with that. Yeah, I was kind of late to crack. I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, I don't I don't know if I wasn't seeing him. It seems like I saw like. um uh, I forgot the number. I think it's the one with uh, Kung Fu on the cover. Okay. And I was never a huge fan of Kung Fu, so I think I just passed on it. And mm. uh, so the first one I bought was the one, was the Earthquake cover, which I love that cover to this day. Yep. And uh, so, you know, it was almost a year after I saw my first Mad, and I think it was just because Cracked wasn't putting things on the cover that appealed to me as much, you know, and then that changed okay. when they started Happy Days and Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. But, 
right. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, uh, the the crack fit my age. You know, I was like eight years old. Yeah. And when I that I I got introduced to crack first, and I understood it instantly. I understood everything in it. And my brother, who is five years older than me, he would he would hand me a Mad magazine. He'd go, "Here, mm-hmm. this is what you're supposed to be reading." <laughs> and I would look at that, and there was like uh, Mad's take on how to fill out your income tax, and I was like, "I don't know what I don't want to read that." You know, <laughs> it just it was just a little too. So I I, I kind of graduated to Mad after hmm. a few years of cracked. I kind of made the switch, but I I coexisted in both worlds. I kept them, yeah. all, and as, as well as sick and crazy. I kept all those yeah. collections going. The only thing I noticed is in the earliest issues of Mad, which now, since I'm an adult, it would be nice if they did this, but uh, they would do parodies of movies I had never even heard of, much less seen, you know? Mm-hmm. So they do, like, Death Wish, and it's like, Death Wish? What's that? <laughs> and right. uh, um, The Great Gatsby was in one of them, and, uh, right. of course, things like The Godfather and stuff like that, and it's, like, stuff yeah. that... Um, like, the first movie, I think, I, they did a parody that I actually saw or even heard of was probably like jaws or something like that because it was okay. so big but you know i said why don't they do like disney movies i didn't i was kind of naive <laughs> i was like right. where's, where's the herbie rides again parody? <laughs> you know? yeah, I, <laughs> I always wanted to see those movies i'd, I'd read the the story in cracked or mad and i'd be like you know papillon what's papillon I yeah exactly papillon. <laughs> you know and i i read it and yeah. i still remember uh in in the Severn version, he he floats away on a giant cork from like a champagne bottle. <laughs> He's like sitting on this cork and floating out at sea. I was like, I've got to see this movie, you know. And yeah. <laughs> my parents were like, You're too young for Papillon, you know. Yeah. Then I, I it was a reprint at this point, but you know, I saw. Uh, Crockwork Lemon, which is Clockwork uh-huh. Orange. And uh, the guy clobbers the lady with um, a giant Dumbo elephant. And I said, I wonder what that is in the real movie. And it's like, oh, I found out what that was in the real movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, great cover. Norman Mingo cover, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? You're, you're referring to the mad version? Yeah, the mad version. I don't think Crack did that one. Cracked tended to not to too many adult films. They did do Godfather. Um, They did a version, and I asked, uh, I think I asked Billy about this. Um, They, uh, oh, this wasn't in the book, but this was on Facebook, is uh, they did a parody of Capone, which I, to this day, have not seen. And I said, what possessed you guys to do Capone? I mean, I'd never even heard of this movie. And uh, Billy said, well, we kind of got the heads up that this would probably be the next Godfather. And my dad loved the Godfather movies. So that made the cover and it tanked and that was the end of that. But, you know, it's like, didn't, didn't didn't cracked also kind of have a thing for gangsters and mobsters. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of, and that that was because of Sproul. I mean, Sproul put his own personal taste. You could tell, that he liked gangster movies. He could tell he liked old movies in general. He liked old comedies. Yep. He liked old horror movies. He liked old westerns. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- it made it into the magazine. You know, which didn't necessarily into Mad as much. Mad was always seemingly to be the current thing. They didn't tend to do much looking back. At least in the seventies, that's what I thought. You know, unless yeah. they did, 
reprints in the annual or something like that. And even then, you know, they'd only, they didn't do like theme issues like they did later, like Mad looks at TV and they go back all the way to the beginning. They just do uh, reprints from like five years before or something, you know, and and I remember when I started reading like the, the super specials, they reprint stuff from like 1969 and 70 or something like that. And I didn't know, I knew it was reprints, but I didn't think about it being, you know, from that time frame. And I go, why does so much talk about hippies and stuff in here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it's the disco era or whatever, you right, know. It's right. like, and then I realized, oh, they're reprinting stuff from then. I get it. Right. You're reading about LSD in the 1980s. Because they'd reprint everything. They wouldn't reprint just the 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 classic funny stuff. They'd reprint all right. the stories, even if it was like, you know, they're making Lyndon B. Johnson jokes. And I'm like, who? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I got some uh, mad jewelry. You ever get any of that from the no. 50s, 60s? No. Yeah, I've got some really nice. i got uh, the cufflinks. I, I've the seen cuff. it before. In, in fact, on this I podcast, do. I interviewed, and, well, you'll. it's not up yet. It's the next one that's going to be up. But I interviewed Grant Geisman, who did this huge EC book, and he's done Collectively Mad. I don't know if you have that book. Uh, I've got two copies of it. I actually sold Grant a giant collection of first print mad paperbacks through, okay. through eBay. Cool. So it's really interesting. He he bought the books. And of course, you don't know who's buying this stuff on eBay. Everyone's like Mobster42 or my name's, <laughs> you know, Surfin39. Or, but then when they buy it, you get their name and address. So right. you can ship it to them. Yeah. And so I'm looking at it, and it says Grant Geisman. And uh, what's funny about this is even though I had the, both, I, I had the book, two copies of Collectively Mad, I didn't recognize his name from that book. Oh. I recognized it from being Chuck Mangione's guitar player. <laughs> and so what, before I shipped the books to him, I, said, I sent him an email, are you Chuck Mangione's guitar player? And he said, yes, I am. And so I, I shared this story about how I loved, I wore one of their songs out on a record album. I would, it was an <laughs> LP and I would move the uh, needle just to listen to this one part of the song that was the guitar solo. I'd listen to it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So I, I told them what a, basically what a lunatic I am and how much I loved listening to his guitar solo. And then he also said something like, yeah, I also wrote a book called Collectively Mad. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've got the book, too, you know. And so it's a really neat connection. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I sent them the books. And there were duplicate first printing paperbacks that I I set in a special box. Cool. And then I sold them all at once. And it, it was Grant that bought them. But, yeah. <laughs> so I, you're, on, you're on your way to saying something. So, Grant, uh, I interviewed him for this very podcast, but I haven't put it up yet. It actually goes up next Tuesday, which will now be, like, a month ago when this this one goes up so i'll say it's episode episode 97 and for people who want to find it and uh you know this one here is 101 so there's there's you know how far forward i usually work on these things but uh anyway i asked him what was the rarest piece of uh mad merchandise and you'd think or at least i thought it'd be like the straight jacket or something like that uh he says no it's the jewelry it's got to be the jewelry and especially intact jewelry i don't know if yours has fallen apart but you know 
sometimes these my, found them in pieces and stuff like that over the years. My cufflinks are in perfect, pristine mint <laughs> condition. They were never worn. They were never used. I bought them from the original owner who got them. And uh, he, the guy, uh, his story was that he won them. They were a gag gift at a senior prom. Mm -hmm. And they were a prize for the best dancers. And he got the prize. He got the cufflinks. They sat in a desk drawer his entire life. <laughs> then one night he threw them on eBay, and I won them for a few hundred bucks. And um, they're not reprints or they're not uh, reproductions. They're yeah. originals. The tie clip I have is a little uh, worn. Yeah. Uh, what happens with that jewelry is that the, the finish wears off on it. Yeah. It looks yeah. like the plating or whatever comes off of it. But yeah. And the, uh, the uh, I think there's a necklace and maybe a charm yeah. or something. Those pieces are always broken or coming apart. Or Yeah. And then the... Most rare item, I think he said, and I knew this anyway because it says in Collectibly Mad, is the, uh, and it's by Wally Cox, since we were talking about him earlier, oh. uh, is the gold bar cufflinks that say 14K and they're little gold. It's only okay. advertised in like one issue of Mad, like in 1956 or something. And it has some ridiculous price, like, uh, even then, like three hundred dollars, which is an insane amount of money. I don't remember the amount. Wow! Uh, and uh, according to uh, Grant, the story was uh, one guy ordered them, and uh, Gaines felt bad for this guy spending so much for these things that he just ordered two sets, gave the guy his money back and the set that he ordered, and made a set for himself. So apparently, there's two sets out there of the. 14 wow. karat gold bar cufflinks you know that it was kind of a gag ad but it's something that wally cox made up that you know and i don't oh, know which cool. issues it, you have to look it up it's one of the ones in the early years like 56 57 somewhere around there it's easy to see because there's a big photograph of wally cox like adjusting them like this or right like yeah that. i do remember the ad <laughs> i can picture it yeah i think there's a i think there's a real early mad t-shirt that's extremely yeah. rare also yeah but although nowadays really again like i said with the t-rivic somebody could probably easily put out an offer oh, yeah. on that one and just yeah i think i have seen that same one redone <laughs> i'm not much into the clothing you know I i'm just, not either really i mean really I, I do have a couple crack t-shirts because i came across them but somewhere along the line somebody was offering me one of the crack t-shirts for a hideous amount of money and i said i'm not gonna pay it was like nine hundred dollars i said i'm gonna pay nine hundred dollars for a t-shirt that i'm never gonna wear because you know right. it's like, you know it's just gonna sit in a pile and it's like they were kind of bummed up that i don't want to pay that much and it's like i'm notoriously cheap i i'll only pay a so high, am high I. I will only pay a high high amount maybe if it's original art and something I really want. But even then, I'm like, mm, yeah. Same here. I'm the same way. I just don't want to. It's got to really, really mean something for me to pull the trigger on it for a lot of money. I just like, can't the, like there's one Ward piece I'm almost tempted to get, and I'll tell you about it. So if you buy it instead, uh, it's a few hundred dollars. And it's, uh, I forgot the name of the article, but it's movie posters. And one of them has, it's by Bill Ward, or the artist. And it has uh, the Jolly Green Giant, and it's the horror movie called Nosebleed. <laughs> and it has this blood dripping out. And he's standing there, you know, you know how Jolly Green Giant just stands all 
sure. the, the label of the uh, canned peas or whatever. But he was kind of like distraught, like, oh, the blood's dripping out of my nose. You know? I never <laughs> saw that. Nosebleed. <laughs> so I said, that'd be kind of cool. It, it appeared in the mid 70s sometime, you know, but uh, I have the issue. I have the artwork. I don't know if I need the original, but it's kind of nice. And so I'm like, mm, a few hundred, mm, you know, but like I said, it's I'm so tough. cheap. <laughs> yeah. I do have. I saw, Go ahead. I saw a, a Dave Berg original art <laughs> that looked exactly like Bill Ward art. <laughs> it was extremely old, black and white, super sexy women. And they're walking down the street. And some businessmen are craning their heads around to look at them. And this art just looked gorgeous. It looked old. And it didn't look a thing like Dave Berg. I mean, his, even his signature was different. And it was, was it for very man? Early. Was it for no. man? Oh, okay. No, this probably would have been for like a girly book for Robert Sproul or one of those okay. early pre-cracked, you know, soldiers gag books that they did. Oh, yeah. yeah the, I, I'm pretty sure it, it looks like action or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'll tell you the story about Dave Berg that Mort always said, you know, so, you know, well, you may not know this since you didn't read it at the time, but, you know, Mort uh, was successful at uh, luring uh, Don Martin away from Mad because they weren't paying Mad, uh, paying him for reprints. And so they got right. Don Martin for a time. And then slowly but surely different people started coming over, like Lil, Lou Silverstone and right. uh, a few others. And um, one one person that Don Fakara? Uh, uh, well, Fakara didn't try to go back to Cracked. No, it was like oh, he, he was didn't. from. No, he went the other way. Uh, he went oh, too okay. mad. But, uh, you know, it's like, but Mort uh, was trying to lure, uh, like, Mort Drucker, for example. And uh, Mort felt right. loyalty to Gaines because he just had a triple bypass or something at the time. And so he stayed with Mad. But the one that apparently knocked on Mort's door was Dave Berg. And Mort said no. <laughs> Really? Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it's still funny that there's no respect for Dave Berg. <laughs> no, that's a shame. Yeah, Dave Berg, <laughs> he was a very, very one-note kind of guy. You know, it was the lighter side of, and that's all you saw, that's all you got. Yeah. And he never really broke out of that. But mm -hmm. if you look at his early comic book work before Mad, it's all over the place. He could do all different styles. Yeah. It was actually quite good. Yeah. But I still think I some of his stuff was funny, though. Maybe not later oh, yeah. on, you know, but, you know, there's still some priceless stuff that I still can quote to people now that just stuck in my mind, you know. Yeah. You know, one of them was lighter side of fast food and it shows this huge long line at a McDonald's. And uh, this one guy says the other guy he says, um, what are you going to get to eat? And the other guy says, I don't know. I'm not even hungry. And he goes, well, why are you standing in this line? And he goes, well, by the time I get to the front, I will be hungry. Right. <laughs> so you know, I always think about that you know, when there's a long line at a fast food or something. Like that. But, you know. Um, yeah, paper had his moments. No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I always felt that, and I've never heard anyone else mention this, the cartoon King of the Hill. Yeah. I always thought that artwork looked like, yeah, I'm sure Mike Judge had a mad influence for that. I mean, he, he doesn't say it directly. Um, right off of, ripped out, out of Dave Bird's 
Say that last part again. I'm sorry, you kind of bounced out of the picture. Oh. Uh, I think you froze up. Yes. Yeah, oh, we're back. My internet connection is unstable. That's not right. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> it's all those cracked covers you tore off the magazine. Yeah, it's making me unstable. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I've never heard, I like heard interviews with uh, Mike Judge about uh, King of the Hill, but he's never said a mad influence, but I know he's read Mad Magazine. So probably if it wasn't conscious where I'm going to make Hank Hill, Roger Kaputnik or whatever, uh, right. there's, there's probably an influence there, you know, just, it just looks every like man. It. Yeah. The you know. Yeah, the houses, the backgrounds, the yards, the clothing, the tiny hands that the men have. It just looks so Berg-esque to yeah. me, anyway. I mean, he already had the voice, because if you watch Beavis and Butthead, that Mr. Anderson had the same, I'm going to get you, boys, yeah. you know, that type of... <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the cleaned-up version right there. Yes. <laughs> um, Mike, Judge, uh, Mike Judge used to play in a blues band. Really? And uh, yeah, and there was a club here in St. Pete that had a picture. Anson Funderburg was in the band. And Mike Judge, I think, was the bass player. And there was a band picture, and they all autographed over their heads. And Mike Judge was one of the people autographed in the picture. Matter of fact, the, uh, the bar is still here in St. Pete. It's called Ringside Cafe. Yeah. And they used to have blues bands touring, would play there. And the funniest thing is Aunt, uh, Mike Judge looks like um, Butthead. And the lead singer, Anson Funderburg, looks just like Beavis. Oh, man. So you're looking at this band picture. Um, it's very bizarre, but fascinating and cool. Mm -hmm. mm. So, yeah. I'm sure there's influences that way, and he probably just doesn't want to let on, you know. But... Uh... Yeah, I've heard a few interviews with him. So, you know, I know he has like the, the, the background, you know, that we probably have, you know, he just made it a big success. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's just like Matt Groening with Simpsons yeah. and everything else. They all have a mad influence. You know, they all read all this stuff. Everybody did. So um, now during yeah. all this COVID I'm time, still a Simpsons fan. During all this COVID time, I'm just curious. You said you're stand-up comedian and everything. Do you get to go out, or you? How do you do your stand-up during this time? Well, it's it's actually you know you can still be pretty safe. You're the you're the only one on stage. Okay. You don't have to really be near anyone, okay. and you can kind of go in and do your set and leave. Okay. And I am here in Florida, well. where uh, <laughs> you know there is social distancing sometimes, not always. Yeah, but for me, I can stay distant. Okay, you know, I can walk in, get on stage, tell the jokes, leave, <laughs> and uh, if the audience is practicing social distance, well, if they are, they are; if they're not, they're not. Mm. Okay. But um, there is work. Okay. So, so I guess I guess it is stricter here. If like, I feel if I feel safe. Yeah. Okay. I guess it is stricter here. If 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 you were here in Oregon performing. You'd have to wear a mask like this and tell your jokes like that. <laughs> so, anyway. All right. Uh, right. Let's see. Yeah, uh, I do. You know. mm -hmm. 
this connection is not doing very well here. We should probably end this here. Uh, so I'll give it to you at the end of the show here. Yeah. Uh, give me a plug for uh, any performances you're doing or how people can get in contact with you or if you're offering anything for sale or anything else like that. So the floor is yours. Oh, good Lord. There's so much to do there and uh, <laughs> so little to say. Uh, let's see. You can uh, really... Best way to find me is is on Facebook, Tommy Bell on Facebook, and there there's a giant roll of bubble wrap, and that's my profile. And uh, what can I say? I play play music, I sell songs, I do comic booking, and I do stand up comedy, and and um, and it was just fantastic to be on this show and and to go down this nerd hole of humor magazines with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely this is I'm I'm in my I'm in my lane. I'm in my alley. This is my wheelhouse, talking about okay. comic books and things like that. I enjoyed it immensely well, we can, and, and hope we can do it again. We can definitely do it again, you know, and it's like, um, and that's all I have to say. Yes, <laughs> so it's a pleasure having you on, on the show, Tommy, and yeah, I hope to have you back. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Tommy Bell, for being my special guest, episode number 102 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021. Fun Ideas Productions, thank you and good night. Headed home to a cardboard hut with duct tape doors. I'm paying